Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lands. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 20 tonight, 1 Samuel 20. Look at verse 8. But David then says, look, if I've done anything wrong, and, and his language here may be, if I've broken our covenant, some commentators believe that when they made the covenant back in 18.3, and Jonathan, and this is conjecture, gave up the royal robes, if you will, that he asked David not to take the throne by force. We don't know for sure, but we remember many times when David could have taken Saul out, as we'll see in future chapters, and he doesn't. He's not willing to, to touch God's king. He's going to let God deal with it, but it, it, could it relate to some covenant that he had made with Jonathan? We're even going to see that Jonathan's going to ask him to uh, be faithful to his future household. He's even thinking of future generations, so it may be. But David is either saying, if I've sinned or if I've broken our covenant, just kill me now. Don't bring me to your father, because I can't take any more of it. And Jonathan, Jonathan said, far be it from you. For if I should indeed learn that evil has been decided by my father, verse 9, to come upon you, then would I not tell you about it? Verse 9 in the NIV says, Never, Jonathan said, if I had the least inkling that my father was determined to harm, and the word here means to do evil to you, wouldn't I tell you? You know, David is, uh, Jonathan excuse me, is in a tough spot because he's caught between a good friend with whom he's made a covenant and his father. It's a tough spot to be in. Jesus in Luke chapter 14 says, you need to love me more than you love father and mother. And when we look at something like that, we, we sometimes chafe under the implications of that verse, but Jesus says, look, I've got to be first. Everything else has got to fall underneath your love for me. And David said to Jonathan, who will tell me if your father answers you harshly? Okay, you've agreed to this deal at the dinner table. Okay, if your dad has evil out for me, how will I get the message? I'd really like to know. Jonathan said to David, come, let us go into the field. So both of them went out into the field, perhaps maybe not to be overheard by anybody perhaps to mark out the plan. And Jonathan said to David, the Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if there is a good feeling toward David, shall I not send to you and make it known to you? Now I want you to notice in verse 12, the Lord God of Israel is called to be what? To be witness. And you're going to see all over this chapter, there's covenant language. When we do a wedding and uh, we go through the vows, one of the last things I say for the bride and groom is these words, with God as my witness, I give you my promise. 
And I make sure that the the bride and groom are looking deeply into each other's eyes. And I remind them that God is presiding over the covenant that they are now making. This is the significance of marriage. It's a covenant. It is something done under the presiding eye of God. We call God to be witness to the covenant. And in our day and age, you all know what's happening now. We want to remove that God from, or at least the God that we're not comfortable with, who says it's between a male and a female for life, right? But look, this is all God's idea. By the way, on Sundays, we're going to the book of Genesis because I felt like we needed to go back to the beginning. Amen? See what, yeah, you want to clap for that? That's all right. It's God's book, <laughs> right? We need to see what God says about these things. And notice now, he says, look, we're gonna, I'm going to call the Lord God, the God of Israel, to be witness. And he says, when I've talked to my dad, I'm going to make it known to you. This is my commitment to you. If it please my father to do you harm, 13, may the Lord do so to Jonathan and more also, if I do not make it known to you and send you away. I think more marriages might be intact if we had some language like that. <laughs> Amen? However you wrong this person, we're going to do it to you. How about that? You think maybe less people would be thinking about how they approach the altar? I'll make it known to you, send you away, that you may go in safety, and may the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. Now, one writer says, this is astonishing. Jonathan appears to understand something that may not yet have been clear to David, namely that the spirit of the Lord who rushed upon David on the day of his anointing in Bethlehem has departed from Saul. The Lord had been with Saul for the purpose of his being king, that is now in the past. He had been the one the Lord had chosen. For Jonathan to ask the Lord to be with David as he had been with Saul was to ask that David should become the king. Close quote. That's pretty amazing given the fact that the man who's saying it was supposed to be the next king. And he's setting aside his rights for the plan of God. And then he says something stunning. He says, if I am still alive, 14, will you not show me the loving kindness? Here's Hesed again, that beautiful word of loyal covenant love. Will you not show me the loving kindness of the Lord that I may not die? I think Jonathan is realizing that in the covenant that's being sealed between the two of them, his life is going to be on the line. How far does your love go? How committed are you to the covenants that you make? And he says, And you shall not cut off your loving kindness from my house forever, not even when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth, and by the way, the preeminent enemy of David at this moment 
is Saul. And Jonathan knows that God is going to deal with his father. And I think there's a, a feeling inside of him that he may be part of that as well. In fact, there is Old Testament and ancient evidence that one of the things that new kings would do is wipe out any potential uh, heirs to the throne or anybody who could be a rival to the throne, they would kill them. And Jonathan's saying, look, I realize the implications of what's going on. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David. Now, I want you to see the language. This is not just about the two of them. This is well into the future, future generations. He says, show your loving kindness from uh, my house forever. And then look at verse 16, with the house of David. The house of David is that royal line through which the Messiah will come. There are bigger things going on, but these two men are sealing a covenant that has implications all the way out to you and to me. In fact, the greater David will arrive being born in Bethlehem and he will become the anointed one, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Could these men have really known all that they were doing in that moment? And Jonathan says, be faithful to my house. And later in the book, we will see, or at least in the uh, second book, we will see that David does this for a man named Mephibosheth. And he is faithful to Jonathan's household. And the two of these men are men of their word. He says, so Jonathan made a covenant, 16, the house of David saying, may the Lord require it at the hands of of David's enemies. He may have been thinking of this verse, surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. For how long? Whatever happens, David, whatever happens to my family, I trust in God. This is my commandment, Jesus says, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his what? For his friends. What a friendship these two have. And Jonathan made David vow again because of his love for him, because he loved him as he loved his own life. And so you can see the beauty of the love between the two. And then Jonathan said to him, tomorrow is the new moon. You will be missed because your seat will be empty. When you have stayed for three days, you shall go down quickly and come to the place where you hid yourself on that eventful day. And you shall remain by the stone Ezel. This may have been a famous marker. It literally means this, ironically, it means the stone of departure. And I will shoot three arrows to the side as though I shot a target. I'll act like I'm out there for target practice. And behold, I will send the lad saying, go find the arrows. If I specifically say to the lad, behold, the arrows are on the side of you, get them, then come for their safety for you and no harm as the Lord lives. But if I say to the youth through some code language now, behold, the arrows are beyond you for the Lord has sent you away. I want you to note this Bible students. Jonathan realizes that if, if, if dad is angry and still wants the demise of David, 
even though David has to run away, it will be the Lord that will send him away. Sometimes we're in difficult circumstances and we say, is, could God be in this? Could God be in a season of my life where I don't even know what's going on and I'm on the run? Could the Lord be behind that? Well, in this case, Jonathan says, if this happens, if you have to flee, and what would have David have to flee? Only his wife, the wife of his youth, and his best friend. It was a high cost. This wasn't just simply get out of town. This was leave everything that you love because my dad is on the rampage and he wants to kill you. But if this happens, Jonathan says, it will be the Lord that sends you away. And as for the agreement of which you and I have spoken, behold, the Lord is between you and me for how long? Forever, no matter what happens in this life. I believe some implied language here is, I will see you again. We will be in an everlasting kingdom with the ultimate anointed one. And there's going to be a heartfelt farewell coming up here. And uh, to my knowledge of how the book unfolds, Jonathan will only see David one more time after this because of the circumstances of life. So David hid in the field, and when the new moon came, the king sat down to eat food. And the king sat on his seat as usual, the seat by the wall. There's still a javelin sticking out of the wall, by the way. It's just Pastor Michael there. It may have been a place of safety. <laughs> Maybe they all wanted him against the wall, just to make sure he couldn't get away with anything. Then Jonathan rose up, and Abner sat down by Saul's side, but David's place was empty. Nevertheless, Saul did not speak anything that day, for he thought, well, it's an accident. He is not clean. Surely he is not clean. Now, what's going on here is that it's a religious festival around the new moon. It would include some sort of sacrifice. Therefore, maybe David, Saul conjectures, touched a dead carcass of an animal. You can see this in Leviticus chapter 7. And maybe he's temporary, temporarily unclean. And some of these things you would do something maybe accidentally and just be unclean until evening. You can look at Leviticus 7 verse 20, 21. You can look at Leviticus 11, 25 and 28. So he sees the empty place at the table, but Saul's first inclination is to say, well, maybe he's, he's just unclean and He's decided not to come, so we'll look for him tomorrow night. But when you think that Saul's thinking might be a little wider, like maybe my son-in-law doesn't want to come to dinner anymore because I've tried to kill him about four times. <laughs> now we'll go for the ritual uncleanness thing. You've tried to kill him four times, Dad. I wouldn't be coming to dinner. I don't care if you had good pizza or whatever. What's going on? I'm not coming. But Saul is just so whacked out, he doesn't apparently think of it. And it came about the next day, the second day of the new moon, that David's place was empty. So Saul said to Jonathan, his son, now here it comes. 
Why has the son of Jesse, he won't even call him David, not come to the meal, either yesterday or today? See, everybody's having a nice time at dinner, and then all of a sudden, uh-oh. You have family dinners like that? It's that one question that everybody's hoping won't be asked, and then it gets asked, and oh. <laughs> there a football game on? Here they go. Where's the son of Jesse? Why is he not at the meal? Jonathan then answered Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem, for he said, please let me go. Since our family has a sacrifice in the city, my brother has commanded me to attend. This would be probably his older brother. Now if I have found favor in your sight, David was the youngest, so everybody would be an older brother. Please let me get away that I may see my brothers. For this reason, he has not come to the king's table. Then Saul's anger burned against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious one. <laughs> now, I was wondering what your reaction would be after I said that. I have never used this line, ever. I do not know if Saul's wife was at the table. She may have tried to grab the spear after this. I don't know. <laughs> why, why did she come into it? <laughs> you know, anyway. Do I not know that you are choosing the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? Now, what's really happening here? Um, the language could be taken a few ways, uh, but actually the perverse and rebellious one is not Saul's wife. The perverse, rebellious one is Saul. He's throwing the barbs, but he's the man who's causing all the problems. But he just can't see it. And so Jonathan has made his choice to follow the anointed one instead of his own father. And his dad knows it. So he's put some sort of guilt trip on his son. This is a ploy, and I'm going to give you two application points that... I think are really important tonight, that the enemy will throw our way. The language here of what Saul has said is you are bringing shame to this family. Like exposing your mother's nakedness. It's something like that in the Hebrew. You know what you're doing to this family by choosing him over us? What's wrong with you? See what he's trying to do? He's, it's, this is a guilt ploy. Sometimes as a Christian, we feel torn. Sometimes we feel torn between what the Bible says and the opinions of people who are within our family circle. And we're like, well, what do I do here? There's emotions and feelings and all of this stuff. And then there's going to be a ploy for personal self-interest. For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you 
nor your kingdom will be established therefore now. Send and bring him to me, for he must surely die. Two ploys of the enemy, a guilt play, and in your best interest, son, it's not to follow this man. You, you're shaming your own family and it's not going to be good for your own future. Your family and your future. Right? You know, some people end up coming to Jesus Christ and their family members are not happy about it. In fact, they will try to shame them out of following Christ or they'll say something like this to them. You know, it's not in your best interest to follow the Lord because uh, these Christians, you know what they do, they, they give money to the church. And <laughs> you know? Maybe the enemy's been pounding on you about these things. But Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said to him, why should, he be, be, why should he be put to death? What has he done? He's repeating really what David said at the beginning of the chapter. What has he done, Dad? And Saul hurled his spear at him. I mean, this is a guy that you don't want to get upset. You might want to talk to him, you know, after the ice cream's been served. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, if you were so concerned about your son and the future throne that you are hoping that he'll sit on, why are you now trying to kill him? Would be a good next question. If that's your main concern, Saul, why are you hurling spears at your son? Because now he's so closely associated. Jonathan with David, that he's doing the same thing to Jonathan that he wants to do to David, namely pin him to the wall. And a lot of persecution that comes the way of the Christian, even Paul recognized this in the New Testament, was things that the world wants to do to Christ, they do to Christians. Saul, Saul, Jesus says to Saul in Acts 9, why are you persecuting when you do this to my people, you're doing it to me. And Paul, when he would write later, some, in some way, uh, in, in the language of the New Testament, says, I'm even taking some of the persecution that they want to bring at Christ, but they can't get at him. So I'm the next best target. And Dad hurled the spear to strike him down. So Jonathan knew that his father had decided to put David to death. I mean, that was a pretty good uh, indication. One writer said, the spear missed Jonathan, but he got the point. <laughs> yeah. And now, the son has become the enemy of the father. Turn to Matthew chapter 10, if you would, for a second. Jesus said some words about this that I think we need to see. Matthew 10, directly addressing um, his disciples. Matthew 10, look at verse 28. 
right after he talks about not fearing those who can kill the body and then they can't do anything after that. Um, he says, Do not fear those who can kill the body, 1028 Matthew, but are unable to kill the soul. You have a soul. Jesus just confirmed it. He just made a distinction between your body and your soul. You have a soul that will live on. Jesus said you do. Do you believe Jesus? Hey, this is Pastor Michael. Thank you for listening to Living Truth Radio today. Excited that you've joined us. Tell a friend about the program you're hearing here. And please keep us in prayer. We have some uh, exciting open doors for new radio stations. We have some exciting opportunities for some new time slots. And we could really use your prayer and your support. If you can give to the ongoing ministry of Living Truth Radio, we'd deeply appreciate it. It takes funds to be on the radio, and we're not a huge congregation, and we appreciate the support that we get from radio listeners. You can give to our ministry through our website at livingtruthcorona.org. If you're anywhere near the Inland Empire and you don't have a home fellowship, you're not connected with a local church, We'd love to invite you to Living Truth Christian Fellowship. The radio ministry that you hear Monday through Friday on your station or on the weekend is really just an extension of the normal pulpit ministry in the life of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. And for those of you who are out of state or out of our area, we consider you family members as well. Uh, Living Truth certainly doesn't replace your local church, but we know you listen and we know you're praying for us and we appreciate it. Thank you for the support that you give to us, the encouragement, the emails that you send. We, we deeply appreciate it. And we know that even when you don't send an email, that you are still part of what's going on and part of the listening family. And we, we appreciate you and we look forward to interacting with you again. If we can be of any help to you, send us an email or a message through the website, livingtruthcorona.org, or you can call us Monday through Friday. We're here 9 to 5 Pacific time at... 951-735-2856. God bless you. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch up to you next time. Thank you for listening to today's program. Our mission is to get the truth of God's Word out. This is our passion. We want to impact as many people as possible, and we have an opportunity to expand this radio program, and we need you, the listener, to partner with us in prayer and in giving. You can give to our ministry through our website at livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org. Hey, I want to invite you to visit our website at livingtruthcorona.org to get more familiar with our church fellowship. If you live in the Inland Empire and don't have a church home, come and worship with us. We have a wonderful church family that meets here in the city of Corona. Our service times are 9 and 11.15 a.m. You can get more information about that at the website. That's livingtruthcorona.org. God bless you. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.